This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon, continuing my series of podcasts featuring candidates for the Fisher City Council. I'm with John Weingart today. He's a member of the Fisher City Council since Fishers became a city in 2015, was also on the town council before that, and John currently serves as the council president. Not the first time you've been elected by your peers to, I've lost count how many times you've been president of the town or city council, but you've served in that role several times and you are voted in by your fellow councilors uh, in that position. So John, welcome. Thank you. Always good to talk to you. And uh, uh, I, I also would like to mention Mike Fossil, the retired teacher at Fisher's Junior High and We the People coach has been a, a cohort of mine. He's now a uh, dealing with some family issues, but Mike has some great questions, and I've tried to incorporate some of his questions he's asked previously in my conversation with John. So as I mentioned, John, you uh, served on the town council before Fishers became a city. So you've been doing this, I think, for more than 11 years, if my count is correct. So what motivated you to run for four more years? Well, you know, and I, I... I, my, my purpose for running for another four years is one of the biggest reasons. I just want to kind of, we have a lot of projects in process. I just want to see them all get, uh, you know, put to fruition and happen in the event center, the, the, um, the, uh, the, our, our community center, all the things, you know, Andretti, all those things. I just want to see all that stuff uh, be taken care of so I can walk away from this in four years and say, we've got it all finished up. I just want to button it all up. So you say this may be your last term, but this you is my last term you as are a city councilor. I'm so telling you, you right now. So I, you are saying this is the last time will, you'll run. I will not run again. Okay. Well, uh, one important job you have had, even as council president, you have kept this position. You've chaired the council's finance committee. Correct. Uh, that panel has been very busy. I try to attend those meetings when I can. Uh, what are some of the most important issues you've been dealing with as uh, as part of that finance committee? Well, you know, as you've been at the, you know, right now we're doing with the budget, which will be going forward for its final vote Monday. Um, and just really, you know, going through and talking about ways that we can be, you know, smart with our finances and also be transparent with our finance too. let people know here's where we're at. Um, and I think we've done a really good job as a committee in, in doing that. I've got a really good, you know, I think I've got good members of my committee. They ask good questions. Um, so, you know, we're, we're one of the, financially one of the strongest communities out there, if not the strongest, as far as uh, our financial strengths. So, uh, you know, it's nice to have a lot of cash reserves that we could hopefully use for, for whatever project we need to, but also, you know, be able to take care of those difficult times. And I've written about this, and, and you, obviously the Finance Committee is heavily involved in the budget many months into that process, but uh, and I have written about this too. Even the most involved citizen can get their eyes glazed over looking at a budget. It's just a detailed-oriented document. But I've always said that never you know, look past a budget because a budget says a lot about where a city's going and what the priorities of the city might be. So you have choices as to how to spend your money. Sometimes you don't, sometimes you do. So how do you think this budget that's going before the council now for 2024, how do you think the city has done in terms of emphasizing the priorities you think it should be mentioning? Well, you know, certainly this community is in a growth mode. I mean, we are growing as a community but what we're looking at is bringing amenities to our citizens that they'll be able to enjoy for many many years to come that's what i look at 
And you also, know. you know, also being able to take care of certain things, roads and, and, you know, improvements, you know, people are always, I mean, that's probably one of my biggest issues is roads and sidewalks and, you know, things of that nature tend to be something that's usually a, a, a lot of things that come up with my constituents. And the budget is the way you uh, address those, right? Absolutely. I have to ask about this because there was a standard and poor downgrade by the, on the city's debt that's backed by property taxes from AAA to AA plus, which is one notch down. Now, the reason I, I mentioned this is because, you know, the city has issued news releases in the past that you've touted that. It, you were, if not the only, of, of one of few, if not the only city in Indiana with a AAA rating. And so I, I think you should, uh, you know, publicize that. But it, when it was downgraded, the mayor, his reaction was, well, yeah, I sort of saw this coming. Uh, but I really didn't get a, a at least a publicly never got any kind of indication that was the case. Explain because this is a bit geeky, you know, this this idea of how East S and P uh, grades debt. Uh, it does it for the private sector and for for governments as well. Uh, I think the main point you have made, and this goes back to the last finance committee meeting, is that the main impact it has on the city is its ability to borrow money. And at what interest, not ability to borrow, but at what interest rate rate. uh, you're going to have to pay. So it does increase the cost of borrowing somewhat. You have indicated, at least in that public meeting, it will have some impact, but uh, going to AA plus will not have a major impact, I think was, was, was your point. So... I guess the question I would ask here is just sort of explain what this means, and 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 since you don't believe it'll have a major impact, explain that if you will. Well, I look at it as just it's it's certainly you know, and again I, I've I've said all along, and I've I've been, you know, there's nowhere you have a AAA bond ring. Well, there's only one way to go at some point. Unfortunately, it's, it's going to be down. And when you have, and we did one of the largest, if not the largest, bond offering that we've ever contemplated here. I, I just knew in, in my mind and thinking through things that we, we would not keep that triple A. Having double A plus is still tremendous. I mean, it's almost like having going from a you know eight fifty credit score to an eight thirty credit score. I guess I, you know put it in kind of layman's terms. Um, you know, the cost of the your cost of money will be a little bit more, but it's not going to impact us. And we planned for you know we kind of planned for the interest rate environment to be what it is now. So you know, we're we're it doesn't come as a tremendous shock to me. It may come a shock to others, but I was not surprised. I was hopeful to keep it, but was not surprised. Yes, yeah, so it sort of got the indication, and you tell me if this is the case. I mean, you've obviously been very aggressive, as you said earlier, about uh, you know doing quality of life. Uh, investments. You've got the the new City Hall Arts Center that's going to be done next year in the spring. You've got uh, the event center under construction. You have this community center, which will soon break ground. So they're all in the pipeline. But I have kind of got the impression, tell me if this is correct, that the real impact on, on, on this credit rating came when the city decided to to buy the sewer utility. Explain how, how that had an impact. Well, you know, certainly buying the sewer utility is something I've always wanted to do to have our utility under one roof, if you will. Um, dealing with HSUT, HS Utilities, the independently owned utility that was owned by fa- like four families, if you will. Um, it just was very difficult to work with them. And, and I can give you a real good, we, from an operational standpoint, our citizens want this under one roof. And I can, I'll, I'll point exactly to my uh, one intersection. It's 106 in Cumberland Road where there's, you know, always, uh, there's a lift station and it's it gets a little, 
you know, it's a little bit older. Well, we've built and we're working on, I mean, uh, we've got an issue there that we're, and we're being aggressive about trying to get to get rid of that odor there where otherwise we'd be ask, asking HSE to do it. And, and typically they're, they'll do what they can, but they're, they're in it to make money. We're in it to serve our citizens. Well, yes, that was a privately owned utility before. Yes. So they were, uh, there was a private company rather than a government. So that is a big difference. Okay, I've got to talk about trash. David, <laughs> David Giffel raised the issue of should the city have one trash collection contract with one company to save residents money? And I flashed back to 2013. I'm sure you did, but you didn't say anything. Pete Peterson <laughs> spoke up right away and basically said he, he had more pushback on that than any other issue. And I thought back to all the issues he's dealt with. That's saying something. Um, then, of course, Scott Fadness was the town manager at that time, so he was in, heavily involved in that. And the pushback at that time basically came where the residents were saying, how dare the city tell me how to collect my trash? I should be able to contract with whomever I want, or my HOA should be able to contract with whomever they want. Don't tell me how to do this business. But things have changed. We only have two companies essentially doing trash collection in the city of Fishers right now. Um, so now the mayor has committed to doing work sessions to kind of go over the process. It was a, an involved process when you were in the middle of it and abandoned that in, in 2013 as a town. So you haven't commented much on this. Uh, where do you stand on this whole issue as, as we sit here right now? Yeah, it's something I think we should look at just from the standpoint of if you have two different companies coming into one neighborhood, that's two trucks hitting a neighborhood every week. So it does, you know, uh, you know affect our infrastructure. Um I think it's something we want to look at again, but also we, we need to have, and you know, David's mentioned this, having an opt-out provision. For example, in my neighborhood, which is all Republic, you know, we have just, and it's part of our HOA dues, we may want to opt out of it just because we have a better, we're more cost-effective as, as a as an HOA because we have 400 homes mm-hmm. in Windermere. Um, it may make sense for us to opt out, whereas other neighborhoods, other people, it may make perfect sense to be part of a, a citywide trash contract if you will so i want to look at it see if it makes sense hear from our residents and see if it makes sense to them and then make a good decision the first thing i thought is here we go again but you know we have a different time we're not the same place we were in 2013 we're We're a bigger city people have moved in and out and people may have a different view now so the only way to know is to is to go to the waters test the waters public hearings uh, and, and so forth when you took your seat on the town council, I believe that was 2012, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Uh, I mean, Fishers was a, a very different place. Some, this is what some say, they missed the old Fishers. Now, I've lived here since 1991. I remember the old Fishers. I do too. And I'm not saying we should ever ignore that and we should be very cognizant of, cognizant of our history here. Uh, but others say, we got to move forward. You know, We can't stay stuck in the past and move forward. What's your? Well, I just would like to have your view on how you look at the way Fishers has changed since 2012. Yeah, it has changed. Uh, you know, we decided that we wanted to to bring a vibrant downtown and also attract, you know, businesses to our to our community. And with, um, you know, certainly some folks may miss the Fishers of old, where everyone had a, you know, four bedroom, two story home, and and uh, you know, you're. you're you only had about three or four choices for a restaurant. You maybe had a grocery store. When I moved here, there were no grocery stores in Fishers. Um, and property tax caps changed all that. And you got the reality is 
you have to go out and you have to attract that commercial base. Now you have to attract those types of other taxpayers to sustain yourself as a community. Um, if we would have stayed the way we were, that might have been great, but we'd be paying a lot more in tax because we'd have a lot, you know, a lot less assessed value to spread around to our community. So um, the good old days were great back then, but it's not; it wouldn't be great now. Well, no, the, the property tax caps made a very big difference. Yes. And you're right. I was hearing this. Gosh, when I started the blog in 2012, people saying the, the, the whole landscape has changed as to how you need to sustain your government. You could do it with the rooftops before. Now, if you don't have commercial development, you're going to have trouble just paying for basic services. And Fishers has gone beyond basic services, as you mentioned earlier. I want to go back to an event that happened just a few days ago. Um, and that was the ribbon cutting on the well, the final section of the Nickel Plate Trail going all the way down to 96th Street now mm-hmm. from 106. We're not far from 106 right now where we sit. And uh, it's been a long time coming. And the mayor referred to some things that have happened in the past. And many people may forget about this. I'm sure you have not. That getting that trail built was no small feat. You had a rail line and, and the... I remember talking to Chris Greisel, who was city attorney at the time, trying to go through handwritten contracts from the early 1800s, right, mid-1800s, to, to figure out how some of that right-of-way was going. It goes back that far. It was that complex. You had federal rules. You had state rules. And, and, and railroad law is a very specific kind of law, and it's, it's a bit antiquated, some would say. But the reason I say all that is that the mayor seemed to say, okay, We've been through a lot. A lot of people in the community wanted to preserve that rail line. The city made the decision that that was not going to be the future. You wanted to put a trail in there. That trail is finally in uh, in, the, in the city of Fishers, now available to people. So when you look back on all that has happened to get that trail done, I mean, the mayor seemed to emphasize that when you were there, you were there at the ribbon cutting. Uh, what was going through your mind? Um, it's finally kind of a realization of something we were trying to do and, and that we did. Um, I was on the you know master plan committee for the trail. I chaired that with a number of other people and that were part of it. It was kind of real, and it's real satisfying I mean, to see that this trail is finally in place. The real thing I enjoy is you know looking and seeing how many people in our community are actually really enjoying it. I hear a lot from my neighbors and people in my district that are walking it every day and are enjoying it every day. Um, you know, now that Indianapolis is funded, they'll start doing their trail. I've talked to business owners down south of 96th Street. They're excited to have that trail in place. So uh, it was really kind of a nice kind of way to kind of realize what we what we did was the right thing to do, and people are really enjoying it. Let me go to schools if I can, because you had an unprecedented meeting recently. City Council, school board had a joint Session, uh, they were actual, they were official meetings mm-hmm. going on at the same time. I'm not sure if that's ever happened since we've become a city, but uh, the reason I mentioned that is that the city, a bipartisan, unanimous council vote, is backing the referendum that the school board has put on the ballot. Same ballot you'll be on, your name will be on. Uh, so this, this is, and the mayor has been very supportive uh, of this referendum as well. Explain why you yourself support this referendum. Well, you know, certainly we moved here because of the schools back in 1992. And it's to me, it's, it is one of the foundational pieces of our community. And um, for us to continue to, to be able to, to invest and have a quality education, we need to have this referendum back in place again. No question about it. Um, 
I can't imagine cutting $26 million from our school budget and it being a po- having a positive impact on our students or our teachers or our community. Um, I just really feel very strongly, very supportive of this referendum. It needs to be passed, and everybody really should really vote for it. Absolutely. I have a question dealing with the library board, and I ask the, from this, this perspective. Would you support a change in state law allowing the city officials one or two appointments on the Hamilton East Library Board? Yes. And why, why would you? Say I that? just think, you know, the library is a part of our community. I think we should have more of a say-so since it's in Fishers. You know, I've always had a little bit of a question. I mean, the library boards are appointed, I believe, from the commissioners and from two different school boards. Correct. Um, but they also can raise taxes. Yes. And it's the only, you know, it's one of the few boards out there that can actually raise taxes that aren't elected officials. Um, and I've, I've always kind of scratched my head at that a little bit, too. But uh, I would think having us have an appointment to those boards would be a good thing for our community that kind of reflects what Fishers is. And same thing with Noblesville. I mean, let us both have an opportunity to bring someone on that board. I'd support it. Because, uh, well, the way that, the reason that they have their own tax levy is a library board is to try to insulate them from pressure from the outside. And, of course, <laughs> and I'm curious, I want to ask you about going door to door. Would you go door to door? Are people asking you about the library? Once in a while, not very yeah. often. Well, let me ask you more generally. You, you've been doing the door to door campaigning. I think every candidate has that I've talked to so far. So when you go door to door and you talk with folks, what are they telling you? Well, most folks that I've talked to are, are, are very satisfied, very pleased with what we're doing, and very supportive. Um, you know, and it's a very, very different from four years ago. Four years ago, it wasn't that way. I had folks that were upset about certain things, especially the you know going from rails to trails. I mean, say a lot of the folks were wanting to save the train. Not having that this time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a very positive, good experience. The doors on and people are very friendly. Um, if that answer the door, I mean, get a lot of with uh, ring doorbell, you don't get a lot of answers. Um, but um, it's gone very well. Yes, uh, John Delucia showed me he has a, a package with dog biscuits in it in case people's dogs were <laughs> yeah. are barking. That's he one said, thing you can count on a ring doorbell and a dog barking. And he uh, he said it's been very effective. So, yeah. uh, as someone experienced serving on both the town and city councils, I'm sure that your email inbox is full every day. I am sure you get phone calls. I'm sure you receive messages in every way one can receive a message as an elected official from a wide variety of people. And you can't, I mean, you, you, you read them all, but you really can't consider them all. I mean, it's just impossible to do that. So, I, And this is a question Mike Fossil likes to ask, and I think it's a good question. As an elected official, how do you filter what comes into you? What I mean, how do you filter what... Okay, I, I got this comment, and I'm not going to really consider that, but I've got another one over here. I have one elected official say, I may get 100 comments about this and one comment on that, and maybe the one comment was more valuable to me than the 100 I received. So how do you filter that out? You can't necessarily consider everything because you're getting so many different points of view. How do you go through that? You know, I, I try and read and, and respond back to virtually every email I get from, from a constituent. Um, and I really don't I, I don't have too many that I don't respond to, quite honestly. Um, if it's a general email to all of us, to all council members, just as a comment, I probably don't respond back to that because they're just 
getting something off their chest. But if it's something specifically directed to me, um, they usually get a response or a phone call. I believe that you read and respond when you can. My question really is more is how do you filter in what you really consider and what you don't really consider when you're trying to make a decision on the case? Well, I, I look at something that I can have a, a direct impact on is probably one thing I looked at. I look at as if it's a, if it's a road, if it's a, you know, an issue with respect to that, I always take a look at that. If it's just someone who I don't like what you're, I don't like what this community is doing. I don't like, you know, I, I don't know what to tell them, you know, on a broad base. But, uh, so I try and look at, look at, specific issues that I address, but the kind of the broad-based ones I don't necessarily always respond to. There's a, a phenomenon in Fishers called the Swiss cheese areas. For mm-hmm. people who don't know what that means, I'll explain it. When the city was beginning to, I'm sorry, actually the town, this goes back to the town days, when the town was expanding and, and, and getting bigger, there were certain enclaves of people that just did not want to be a part of the town, and rather than have a fight with them, they they would annex around them. So what you have are these areas within the city which are not part of the city. That's why they call them Swiss cheese areas. But there's a, a, a specific impact that can bring. Uh, for example, I, I used to live in Sedona Woods and uh, along Promise Road from, from what, 136th Street down to Fisher's High School. We don't have a solid sidewalk there because much of that property is not within the city of Fisher's. And those people have shown no indication they want to be part of the city of Fishers. So that could be a safety issue because my daughters really couldn't walk to Fishers High School if they wanted to, even though it's just down the road. There were no side; They couldn't safely do it. They'd have to walk in the street to do that. So there are some, I mean, specific impacts uh, of that. So I guess the question I would ask in regard to that, in, in a situation, that's not the only one on Promise Road, 126, there are many areas of the city where you just can't put sidewalks in because that's not part of the city, and the, the city uh, uh, would not, on its own, be able to put a sidewalk in. Or what should they if those people aren't paying city taxes? So my question to you is, knowing that these issues are out there, is there any way around it? I know you've tackled it since the days of being a town councilor, is there a way to get around that, working with the county or the townships? I mean, uh, I guess the question is, because it's a safety issue in many situations, is there a way the city can get around this? I don't know if there's a necessary way to get around it, but there's certainly a way to work with the township trustees and see what we can work on together. And when we are, um, you know, Debbie Driscoll is tremendous. So, so is Doug Allman. They're both really tremendous to work with. We collaborate with them a lot and try our best to try and come up with solutions where maybe we can – uh, help each other out. I mean, you know, Debbie's doing a project with, uh, you know, and 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 you know, Doug's doing a project with some parks. So, th- I don't think well, you don't go around it. You know, and it, it, there's always you, you go th- you work with the people and talk about solutions and how can we do it that benefits the taxpayer that, and also benefits us as a community because most people don't know if they're in Fishers or if they're in unincorporated Delaware or unincorporated Fall Creek. That is true unless you uh, unless they look it up yeah. or somebody tells them. But uh, I, I, what I was fascinated by is uh, I wasn't able to go to that meeting because you, when you had that joint meeting with the school board, you went to another room of the school board complex to finish your meeting, and I was covering the school board, but I saw their video later. And Debbie and the city are proposing uh, to work with Clay Township and Carmel to erect a bridge over the White River that will mm-hmm. come down at uh, Heritage Park. Yes. That's... Uh, that is going to be an interesting project, something that uh, I think was in the long-term plan, but the first time anybody has specifically proposed doing it. Yes. 
So you are supportive, obviously. Absolutely. You're, smi- you're smiling. Absolutely, so yeah. you're, you're definitely supportive of that. I want to ask you a question because you are tax account. By the way, thank you for doing this podcast. People don't realize April 15th is not the big date anymore for accountants who do tax. It's October 15th because that's the extended due date. And, right. And uh, so I appreciate you carving out some time for me. But I really have to ask this question of you because it's a statewide issue that could impact local governments like, like Fisher's. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch is going to run for governor of Indiana next year. She's announced along with many others. She is the only one who's made a very specific tax proposal. She has proposed abolishing the state's income tax. As I understand it, that's right around $8 billion, with a B, $8 billion of revenue. And she basically has said she doesn't want to replace the revenue. She wants to make government smaller and more efficient. She doesn't want to, she has no proposal to uh, replace that revenue in any way. But the reason it could impact cities is because there is a local option income tax Mm -hmm. that cities and counties can option into. Fishers has had their differences with Carmel. (laughs) We got a state legislature to make a a, a shift. Carmel is suing over that, not us, but they're suing the state. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's one reason the cash reserves are high and the city made the decision which is a prudent one not to use that for ongoing expenses but for one-time projects uh, to spend down that additional cash reserve that came in from carmel but that income tax is no small ingredient to the revenue stream of, of cities and counties that opt into them all i won't say all most counties in indiana do there are some exceptions so I guess the question I would ask you is, because this could have a direct impact on the revenue that Fishers would see, and you are a tax accountant, you see this from different perspectives. What is your reaction to this proposal to abolish the income tax by a, a candidate for governor? Well, it's certainly an interesting uh, statement. It's easy to say hard to do, I think, um, just from a reality perspective, because, you know, my con, you know, my concern is, you know, we've got costs that we've associated. There's bonds that we've backed with this income tax, um, and to have that source go away would cause a tremendous burden on every city, including Fishers. Um, you know, it's been talked about before. Um, I've talked to state reps about it. I've talked to them just kind of in, in casual conversation, and what they always said, well, well, if we're going to do something, we're going to have something to replace it, and you're going to have to. Um, because this is how we pay our people. This is how we pay to get things done in our community. If you don't have that, they, yeah, it, it, it'll, it, it won't be efficient. It'll be a dreadful impact on the community. I mean, it'll be a, a big, big change that won't be good for our community. So uh, we have to be real cautious with making statements like that because it's easy to say, hard to do. So I could uh, take that saying that uh, you are not convinced that eliminating the income tax could be done without some serious pain. There'll be some pain if there's no replacement for it, absolutely. You know, I did a, a deep dive into other states that do not have an income tax, and if they all have other ways of taxing Oh, yeah. People. I mean, Alaska, you know, they have oil revenue because they're a small population. In Nevada, it's the gaming industry that allows them not to have an income tax. Um, what is it? Uh, New Hampshire. I mean, they don't tax income, but they tax just about everything else. Yeah. I mean, so they do make it you know, up sales elsewhere. tax, property tax. You know, every time there's there's you know there, there's all there's there's going to you know, someone's going to have to 
how do we replace these co- you know these costs are going to have to be paid how are you going to take care of that and and fishers would feel the impact if something like that were to be done Certainly. by the legislature okay here's my final question i ask it to all the candidates just take a minute or two uh, you are you've been in this district for a long time it's now called the south central district uh, uh you, you've uh, been a, a town and city councilor uh, you say this is your last time to, to serve, your last election. Why should people vote for John Weingarten in this city election? Well, for the reason you want to vote for me is, is I'm, I'm certainly the one that can, can really take care of our, I feel like we, I take good care of, of, my, of my constituents. I listen to their concerns. I try my best to help them. Um, but I'm also, from, from my background as a CPA, can help navigate the financial waters of this organization to a point where we can, you know, move with these projects, finish them off, get them in place so I can transition off and hopefully someone can kind of take hold of this and move forward and do whatever they want to do. But um, I've always been someone who's been, I feel, approachable, easy to talk to, and, and, and able to hopefully answer your questions that are respectful and responsible and, and, and have civility and, and respect in how I do it. Um, that's what I feel I bring to the table is someone you can walk up to, shake your hand, have a cup of coffee, and have a good conversation and expect that I'll listen to you and I'll do my best to help you any way I can. You know, I was just thinking that uh, when David George resigned from the council in this term, that you and Pete Peterson are the only ones that are holdovers from the old town council. We are. We're it. I mean, Scott was town manager. You could say he's a bit of a crossover, but he worked for the council at he that did. time, and now he is an independent mayor, which is a much different role. So, uh, yeah, the two of you are the ones that uh, are bridged to the past. And do, do you think that's valuable to have that institutional knowledge? Oh, absolutely, it is. It's very valuable from yeah. the standpoint you know. You know, you, you've you've been through a lot. You know how to get things done. You're not having to you know learn learn at the moment. You've you've been through a lot of experiences, and you can make things happen a lot quicker because you know that path. So yeah, it's a tremendous benefit. John Weingart, uh, been a member of the Fisher City Council since we've been a city. As we mentioned, a town council member before that. Uh, he's running for what he says will be his last election uh, for a term on the Fisher City Council. So, John Weingart, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome, Larry. Good to see you, as always.